Welcome to Opto Sessions, where we interview the brightest minds from the stock market, uncovering their secrets to success. If you're looking for ideas, tips and techniques from the world's best, you're in the right place. Hello and uh, welcome to Opto Sessions. Today we're lucky to have Ivan, or Ivo for short, uh, a portfolio manager at Zor Capital, who has successfully been trading equities and options for over 18 years. He's also the author of numerous books on trading, such as Crash, How to Protect and Grow Capital During Corrections, and his latest release, Swing Trading with Options, How to Trade Big Trends for Big Profits. We'll be digging into these themes in a bit more detail in just a second. But without further ado, welcome, Ivo. Uh, Ed, thank you for having me. Uh, great to have you on the show. And uh, I just wanted to start just be by uh, going into how did you get into investing, basically a bit of background about yourself. Uh, so I was born and raised in Bulgaria. And um, while in, uh, at university, I was uh, reading a, a computer magazine on a monthly basis, and that computer magazine had a small section for about two pages dedicated to the stock market, and these were my initial steps. Uh, this is when I started to read a little bit about the market, and it sparked my interest. And um, I invested a small amount uh, in the Bulgarian market at the time, and uh, in the mid-2000s, uh, the local market was... Uh, going up basically on a monthly basis so i uh, um, i saw a significant return and that basically what sparked uh, my interest and my passion and uh, later a couple of years la later i moved to the us to study uh, finance and uh, this is where i um, further uh, dived into uh, trading and investing and uh, some of my first steps here in the U.S. were basically just reading financial blogs at the time. They were starting to get very popular, like Howard Lindzen's blog was one of them. This is how we actually met uh, with him through his blog. I uh, started reading uh, Investor's Business Daily and then various books on the topic. And uh, this is how it started. I mean, none, no one in my family had... Uh, had had ever owned a stock, so uh, basically I had to learn from other people in books and newspapers. And would you consider yourself both uh, a trader and investor? Um, do you do, but you, do you utilize sort of both strategies there? And could you just the audience clarify the distinction in your eyes as well? I mean, everyone has a different definition, right? I and mean, I think. I'm primarily a trader, but there are different types of trading. There is intraday trading where you close all your positions. Uh, at the same day, there is swing trading, which lasts one to 10 trading days. There's position trading, which could last multiple weeks, even multiple months. And I do all of those three. Uh, and then investing is, I mean, in my eyes, is just buying something the way Warren Buffett does, really, really for the long term. Buying a strong comp stock of a strong strong company and just staying in it uh, for multiple years, or just buying an index like the here in the U.S. is the S&P 500 or the Nasdaq 100, yep. and just dollar cost averaging in that every month and just hold it for 30 years. Uh, yeah, investing in my eyes, and you know, I'm. I mean, I I do have 
a small retirement account that does a little bit of that, but I'm mostly a trader. This is how I make my money by just speculating uh, in the in the stock market. So, and what 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 is it about stocks in particular that that keeps you sort of um, trading them as opposed to forex and and other stuff, indices even? I mean, I've never even tried Forex and uh, I just started in stocks and the market is liquid enough here in the US and this is where I develop an expertise and an edge and this is uh, why I stayed with it. I mean, from from my understanding, Forex involves a lot of leverage, which is the worst thing that you can give to a novice. And... Um, I think most people, uh, especially if they don't have enough experience, should start with no leverage. And as you build more more skills, you can add more tools to your um, trading arsenal. But as you said, I don't really know much about Forex. So I have always traded stocks and options. Uh, and that's plenty. You know, the market is big enough. So I don't, I don't yeah, yeah, yeah. diversify any further uh, than that. What about you? Do you trade Forex? Uh, no, no, no. I was just interested in, in um, obviously, that was how you got into the market. But sometimes, you know, some, some people um, don't know the, you know, but, well, but, you know, want to find a reason to trade one asset over another. And it's just interesting sometimes to know, understand how other people's thought process went into it. Um, but, you know, a lot of the time it is just what you've developed a, a, a preference for and an edge in. Uh, why would you change anything else if you found you know the way of doing it right in, in one asset so um and in terms of um market crashes i wanted to go into a bit more depth uh, about that especially because of you know the sort of um market at the moment which is is obviously crashed and then recovered quite strongly at the moment um it seems yeah an opportune time to to, to kick off the pod- podcast discussing that um in your book book on market crashes you mentioned that patterns repeat all the time because the human mindset hasn't changed for thousands of years. I was just um, hoping you could take us through a bit of the psychology behind typical stock market corrections and in particular how people's perception changes as they pass through different stages of a correction. Yeah, I mean, there are different types of correction. I mean, I typically divide them into just uh, two types. One is just shallow, normal uh, pullback within a bull market, which typically can last several weeks and it's about four to seven, eight percent. And they're normal. They happen at least twice a year, uh, every year. And then there is a bigger, bigger correction that uh, could last multiple months and that where the major averages go down 20, 30, 40, sometimes more uh, in percentage in percentage points. So uh, typically, most corrections starts with uh, start with some momentum divergence. Uh, for example, the a major index like the S and P five hundred can continue to go up, make new highs, with fewer and fewer stocks participating. Meaning that we're seeing a divergence between the index going up and then the number of stocks that are staying below their uh, above their 50-day moving average, for example, is decreasing. That's one form of divergence. And of course, it's, it's not an exact science to, uh, you know, to call a top. That's, 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 it's really hard. Uh, but typically when we see 
a decreasing participation and um, a lot of distribution in the indices. And distribution basically means sign of institutions selling. You know, when you have uh, an index like the S&P 500 down uh, more, more than 1% or 2% on, on a daily volume that is above the previous daily volume, that's one distribution day. So when you, when you start to see a big cluster of those distributions days uh, in a short period of time, let's say five, six, seven within uh, two, three weeks, that's typically a sign that um, big institutions are uh, selling their shares for whatever reason. So you know, these are the, the two things, the institutional selling and, uh, and also momentum divergences that typically start uh, corrections. We know at the beginning of every correction, we never know if that correction will be a shallow one or a deep one. Uh, you know, the only thing they have in common is that during when market starts to fall, usually there is a spike in volatility. So one of the most common sense to uh, hedge at this time or just to speculate is just to get long volatility. You can just buy here VXX calls, which I did earlier this year in February, uh, while the S&P was near its all-time highs, or you can just buy a put option on, on the index or some of your holdings just to protect yourself. So every, I mean, in my experience and by also studying uh, previous corrections, I noticed that the, the big, the deep corrections typically have uh, several distinct stages. And in the, in the stage one, we um, typically see a big, quick uh, drop lower, you know, we can, which marks the momentum low. We can see an index, an index go down 10, 15, 20% in a week or two, a very quick sell-off. Uh, that scares everyone. And then typically after this first leg lower, there is a quick retracement a quick bounce snapback which uh, retraces about 50% of the of the first leg lower and uh, and after that you know after after some time of of choppiness eventually we see a uh, test of the momentum low from stage 1 the so called moment, momentum low and during that test um we see another momentum divergence, but this time it's a positive momentum divergence when the indices test their momentum low, sometimes they go below it. And in the same time, the number of stocks that are making new 50-day uh, low uh, is just decreasing, they, or 52-week low. They, they do not confirm what the indices are showing. And this is just one of the signs that, uh, you know, that we might have a short-term bottom. And um, if you study the, the, the past corrections, many of them uh, go through the same uh, stages. Typically, corrections, the deep corrections, they, they last long enough to condition uh, most people to, uh, to become very nimble and to sell uh, positions very quickly because if you don't, you see whatever profits you had evaporate. So the, those markets are very volatile. They're uh, very crazy, and they're great for a, 
for uh, quick, nimble intraday traders, but they could be um, very challenging for everyone else. And this is why even in, even investors become uh, become short-term traders during corrections because that's the only way to kind of make money uh, during that time. And of course, when you get conditions to, condition to take profits quickly, later when during the when the market recovery comes, that be that becomes a big issue for you because all of a sudden you continue to take your profits very quickly because you've been conditioned to sell very early. While the this time the breakouts follow through and we typically see bigger moves in stocks, so you're missing out on much bigger moves. So it takes it takes some time until you um, condition yourself again to stay longer with trends and uh, not to sell too quickly. So, I mean, every investor goes through you know, various, basically the same psychological stages during, during corrections. Um, I mean, there is, you, you, you go from fear of losing and wanting to get out at any price uh, during the, the quick fall down, and then you can quickly switch to fear of missing out during, the, uh, during a quick recovery. And is there anything different you're seeing in the way the market's behaving in, in this um, sort of, would you call this a correction we've been through? Well, the main thing that I'm seeing is that it seems this time everything is happening much faster. So in a matter of, of six weeks, we saw the size of correction that uh, typically takes a year or so, you know, historically to happen. And then the recovery was just as quick, typically a recovery that takes many months to happen. Here it happened, it happened in four to six uh, weeks. So uh, it seems like everything is happening much faster this time around. Uh, for whatever reason, I don't, I don't, I don't know if that that's a sign that yeah. markets have become a lot more efficient or the opposite. But the magnitude of the moves have been uh, incredible, and something that uh, you see very rarely, uh, because some some of the ETFs that typically move. 10, 12% a year, they experienced a 50, 60% drop in a, less than a month and then a similar type of recovery. So it's almost like a flash, like a flash crash, but uh, slow down a little bit. So it's just, it's just definitely that this correction uh, was a little bit different in terms of velocity. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and what would you? What phase do you think we're in in now? Um, I mean, the Nasdaq's come. I think it's it's above uh, the highs. Um, well, it's it's, it's 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 positive for the year now. Yeah, absolutely. Um, mm -hmm. After coming down, are we? Are we? Are we? Is is this? Um, are these highs um, justified, or, or or is there something strange going on? Or? If you. 
I don't think you can really make money in the market if you try to justify mm. the moves with any logic. Uh, just because the financial markets typically live in their own world. Right? They, they constantly strive to predict the future, to predict, to forecast and discount something that hasn't happened yet. So for the past six weeks, the, the markets have been pricing in uh, normalization of, of the economy and, uh, and of our life. That doesn't necessarily mean that the market will end up being correct, but this is what the market has been discounting and this, this is why prices have been moving up. So the market looks six to 12 months ahead in the future and is saying, maybe things will go back to normal, but that doesn't mean that they will. So, but the market is not naive, right? So as, uh, after the initial excitement and discounting phase, that recovery, at some point the market will start looking at the actual raw data and we want to see a confirmation of that thesis. So if all of a sudden the company's earnings reports and economics numbers and, uh, and the number of new coronavirus cases do not confirm the current market thesis, we might see you know, another, another correction, basically, another, another leg lower if the market all of a sudden realizes that, hey, my thesis is not, maybe it's not correct. But as of right now, the market, this is the, what, what the market is doing, is basically looking into the future and betting that things might get back to normal at some point. And this is why uh, the stock market can sometimes be uh, a little bit counterintuitive to many, who, especially people who don't have enough experience in the markets, because you read the news headlines and the news is uh, basically horrific. And then you look at the, what's going on in the stock market and stocks just keep going up and then you're wondering what's going on. And if you try to justify that in some way and especially trade on that, you know, you can lose a lot of money. And if you're a trader, you can, all you can do is just follow price and uh, manage risk and just don't ask too many questions about uh, the validity of this move or not. You know, we're in, this market to make money, not to philosophize uh, if if it's justified or not. At least that's my philosophy. Yeah, yeah, it sounds like a very good good way to approach it. And how how can people prepare for market crashes whilst also trying to sort of maximize the gains in their portfolio uh, during periods of growth? Um, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah, it's just it's so you're trying to maximize your gains in periods of growth, but also want to be prepared for the downside of, of market crashes that, that might occur. I just it'd be interesting to know how you sort of position yourself to, um, you know, uh, uh, to to still be okay during those periods. Well, re remember, I'm I'm a trader, so for me, a spike in volatility which usually comes with market corrections, is, means even more opportunities than during normal, uh, normal times or rising markets. For, for most people, uh, 
most people they're, they're just having a regular nine to five job that is not related to investing and trading. Uh, I don't think uh, they can do much about uh, really protecting uh, their long-term investments. I mean, uh, all you can, all mo most people can do is just dollar cost averaging in the indices on a monthly basis. And um, it's not an accident that, you know, a very popular manager like Peter Lynch says that far more money has been lost while trying to uh, prepare for a correction than during the correction themselves. This is exactly, uh, <laughs> this is exactly for, for people who are not really active in the stock market. Like if, if after a 10, 15%, 20% pullback, all of a sudden you start thinking about how to protect uh, your portfolio, in most cases you're uh, maybe too late for that. So you're either an investor or either a trader. Uh, if you're an investor, just keep doing what you're doing. Uh, I think just dollar cost averaging in the indices, you can just have a few individual uh, investments in a few individual stocks just to uh, spice up your returns. But if you're a trader, I mean, it doesn't really matter if you have a, a growing market or a falling market, you, you, can, you can make money on, on, both, on both sides. And obviously to capitalize on a correction, you need to be a, uh, to be a trader. So you, so you can uh, <laughs> play the short side as well. Mm. And so if, as, a, as a trader, how do you approach growing your capital during uh, periods such as this, like market crashes? Where do, where do the opportunities lie? How do you find them? So typically during bull markets, I'm uh, mostly a swing and position trader. So my, uh, I'm taking uh, trades that usually last a few days, sometimes multiple weeks or months. So during market corrections, my... Um, trading time frames uh, become shorter, so I I do mostly intraday trades because during quick corrections uh, we typically see significant market uh, gaps every single morning. Like we're talking four or five percent gaps, so which make holding positions overnight for a trader really uh, really difficult. So uh, so during corrections typically. In a single day, you can see moves that typically take years. So moves that typically take years, all of a sudden during corrections, you see them every single day. Every single day you see big stocks moving 10, 15, 20% uh, on that for the day. And when you're a nimble intraday trader, you can just, you know, you have a, can take advantage of that. I mean, instead of waiting a whole year to make twenty percent in certain stock, you can do that every day during <laughs> during correction. This is why uh, corrective market actually the favorite trading environment for uh, for experienced traders because this is when you can make the most money. Because the higher the volatility, the the bigger the opportunities. And yep. This is how you basically uh, grow your capital during correction. Not, not only you can still grow your capital during correction, but actually corrections are, offer bigger opportunities than any other market environment if you're a nimble trader. And all, everything depends on your skills and your, on your market approach. I mean, obviously, if you don't have the skills, 
or the capital to uh, to trade intraday, then you should not be doing it right during corrections. You should just uh, go to cash if you're just a swing trader or position trader and just wait it out. This is what many people do uh, who know that they're not good at intraday trading. They just, when they see the sign of an impending correction, they just go to cash, sell everything, and they just wait it out. And when they see the sign of, of a potential uh, start of a market recovery, they sl slowly start to get back in and uh, build their positions. Uh, mm. Talking about traders, right? Not investors. We all yeah, yeah. investors. Yeah. So this is and so it's your choice. You can either be super active if you have the skills, or you can just go to cash and just protect it. And instead of going through a 20, 30%, uh, even 40% drawdown, as the market averages do, you, you can limit your drawdown to uh, 5 7% and you know, wait it out and then start trading again uh, when you see signs of a market recovery. And yes, you. With this approach, you're going to miss the initial stage of the market recovery, but also you're going to minimize your drawdown. And mm -hmm. um, how can people tell when the sort of market recovery has sort of begun and that they're safer to start of start swing trading again, etc.? What what sort of signals do you use to? I mean, when you see when you see breakouts, when you see more stocks on the 52-week high list, all of a sudden, especially growth stocks, stocks that are showing significant earnings uh, and sales growth, when you see those stocks breaking out and holding their breakouts and following through, that's usually a sign that it's a safe time to get back in. Because during correction, you may you see a very low number of stocks on the 52-week high list, and typically those are super defensive stocks like consumer staples like you know campbell soup uh, kimberly clark stuff like this which not not sexy names not really high growth names and and the few breakouts that you see on the 52 week high list typically fail during corrections if all of a sudden you start to see more and more stocks showing up on that 52 week high list and and more and more breakouts uh holding and following through that's typically a good sign that that strength will be spread into more sectors so you can start looking for other uh, proper setups and bases for you to buy and participate yep so that's pretty simple basically just watch watch the 52 week high list and and how the and how the market is reacting to those breakouts and one more thing that uh, I think it's also helpful is to look at the market reaction to bad news. If all of a sudden stocks stop falling on bad news, as we saw, we've seen in this earnings season uh, multiple times. I mean, last week we had companies like IBM, Intel, Target coming up with numbers earnings numbers well well below the expectations and the, the initial market reaction was like a slight gap down of four or five percent but those those gaps those dips were quickly bought so this is a typical example of how the market is 
ignoring the bad news, the current bad news, because the current earnings reports basically reflect the past and the market is trying to look in, into the future. And so when you see that combination of positive market reaction to bad news and more stocks on the 52-week high list, uh, breakouts that are holding and following through, this is a pretty good, these are pretty good signs that uh, this recovery uh, is sustainable and then you can start putting some money to work if you're a position trader. And position trader, I would say, would need someone who would buy with the intention to hold multiple weeks or multiple months. Or even if you're a swing trader and you intend to hold just several days, you, you still need to see that sign to uh, start putting more, more serious money to work. Sure. Um, and are you say so this would also be um, an indication of a bottom have, having definitely formed then once you start to see all these stocks that are trying to push to new highs? It's, it's, yeah, it's just, it's just um, compounding on this, this idea that the recovery is stabilized and it's pushing forward. I mean, the very first sign of a potential recovery is when you see positive momentum divergence, as I said, when you see the, the indices testing their previous lows or even going below it, while the number of individual stocks making new 52-week lows is decreasing, right? This is, this is positive momentum divergence when uh, the majority of stocks are not following what the major indices are doing. Yep. This is when some uh, more nimble people can start to put a little bit of money to, to work. And this is where uh, if you're a very shrewd long-term investor, you can get you know, some amazing businesses at very favorable prices, uh, you know, 50, 60% below their uh, uh, all-time highs. But th there's so many different approaches to the market and you just have to find the one that works the best for your own psychology and for your own uh, skills and, and, hold, sure. and holding power because everyone, uh, every person has a different holding power, right? Some people are able to stomach big drawdowns, others are not. So Yeah. Well, so I think it's probably a rele relevant time to move into um, discussing the M Momentum 50, which is a, a popular list of stocks you maintain for your, your premium client list. Um, which highlights stocks with momentum. Um, could you could you explain a bit about what this list is, what uh, and about momentum, um, so that people can understand, yeah, a bit, a bit about what how these stocks are selected for the list. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's an algorithm that I created a few years back uh, in 2013 uh, after studying what works what worked in the past on, uh, on various timeframes, on a monthly, quarterly, uh, annual basis. I looked at the biggest winners, uh, biggest top market winners, and I looked what they had in common. And in many cases, what they had in common is established momentum. And there are two types of momentum. One is um, so-called uh, absolute momentum. Uh, when we're looking at the the different the distance of the current stock price to its 52-week low. So typically stocks that have already doubled from their 52-week low are considered momentum stocks, stocks that are in, a, in an established uptrend. 
And another way to measure momentum is based on the distance from the 52-week high list, from the 52-week from the high for the stock. So stocks that are trading within uh, 10 to 15% within their 52-week high, even better, their all-time high, typically those are stocks in an uptrend that are potentially setting up. And in addition to that, I, um, for my list, I have some other criteria like uh, earn, look at how the market has reacted to the past, uh, to the most recent earnings reports. If we see a favorable market reaction, a high volume uh, breakout, that's typically very positive uh, for, the, for the next quarter. I look at uh, short interest, I look at industry momentum because um, stocks tend to move in groups. And uh, when you see, and typically industry moves are a lot more sustainable than individual stock moves. And I also take that into account. And uh, at the end, you know, I rank the stocks uh, based on, on their technical setups. So stocks that show uh, range contraction, stocks that uh, which 20-day moving average is closer to their 50-day 50, 50 uh, moving average, typically it's one sign of range contraction. Typically they, they offer better entry points. So at the end of the day, the, the um, reason and the, the goal behind, behind that list is to save you uh, research time. So after all that screening, we come up with only 50 names, and those names can, can be excellent um, source for swing traders, for position traders, for trend followers, for, uh, for intraday traders. Uh, so it, it's a, it basically saves you time, and it helps you to fish in a pond that is very likely to have uh, some uh, stocks that are likely to outperform. So instead of fishing in a big ocean of 8,000 stocks, at least, you know, that, that's how many stocks are here in the US, uh, you get to focus on only a much smaller pond of 50 stocks. So you have much higher probability of capturing one or two big winners uh, if you're a position trader or capturing more, have a much bigger chance of capturing um, multiple five to 10% moves uh, within those uh, momentum stocks. And yeah, that's it basically. And when, when, when would you um, decide if a stock should be removed from the list if it's lost momentum? Yeah, so the list is rebalanced on a weekly basis and when an, uh, Typically, when we see a stock breaking below its 50-day moving average on, uh, on high volume, uh, um, typically it loses its uh, spot on the list, and, um, it, and it just depends on its ranking. I mean, after I run all my scans and all my filters uh, every single week, I can, uh, it can produce anywhere between 50 and 300 stocks and they're just getting ranked based on their technical characteristics. And if they don't make the cut for the top 50, you know, they're out. And typically they don't make the cut if, if they have a 
high volume uh, breakdown below the 50 day or, or there are some other stocks that are setting up and offering better setups, they're, they're getting replaced. Mm -hmm. And how do you decide when it, so the stocks are chosen for this list and how do you decide, um, obviously it'd be individual to different traders, but in terms of how you approach it, when, when are good times to open positions in this stock? Are you opening them immediately when, when you decide they um, have come into the list or, or are you choosing ones that you, you feel have, uh, you know, technically a, a, a better setups or how do you go about that? Yeah. I mean, that's, what, that's one, way to, one way to do it. And um, I, everything goes also goes through the filter of what's going on in the, in the general market. And if the major indices here in the US is the S&P 500, the NASDAQ 100, the rest of 2000, if all of them are above their 50-day moving averages, um, then typically that's a bullish market environment. And in this environment, you can just, you know, buy the new stocks on the list you know they're coming up every week and just uh, because ev 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 my table of the momentum 50 list shows how many weeks a stock has spent on the uh, on the list and some some stocks stay there for a few weeks and some uh, stay there for more than a year and uh, if if they're marked with the letter n which means new that means it, it has just joined the list and you know, one way to approach it is just to buy the new stocks that have just appeared in the list, but only when the general market is in a confirmed uptrend. So that, that's a very simple way to, to approach it. Uh, if you want to basically trend follow and or position trade those new ideas. And you know, you can either sell on strength, you know, when the stock gets super extended above its 50-day moving average, or you can just wait for the stock to be removed from uh, from the list. You know. And are you managing your trades out when you're in them, in terms of taking um, some profits off the table at certain points, or are you coming all out on spike highs like like you're talking about? How how do you approach like managing your position when you're in, inside it? So, so I like to sell on strength. So uh, most of my trades are, are swing trades. They, they're short-term in nature, last between one and 10 days. So I, I, I do sell on strength, you know, once I enter and that's after my, usually enter uh, right when a stock is uh, breaking out or breaking down from a base. And um, the typical move when, when stock break out or break down the moves typically last between three and five trading days before they encounter some form of uh, resistance or support if you're shorting and i want to stay in those stocks only while they're moving so i just sell on strength you know i have i give my target levels it's just depending on the setup and i just sell in stages you know if I buy a stock at 10 with a stop at 9.50 and I can sell uh, a quarter when the stock gets to 10.50, I can sell another quarter when it gets to 11 and, or, and the rest when it gets to 12 where my ultimate target, let's say, would be. Mm -hmm. I, I like to just, um, just sell, partially sell on strength instead of just sell at 
just one um, just one specific target because in many cases uh, the, the stocks might, might not reach their targets and just taking a little bit off the table uh, just increases my holding power in a way so uh, because I, I've taken a little bit of profits my risk has been reduced so I can stay longer I don't need to really move my stops that I can just leave my original stop where it was because if I keep moving my stop very aggressively there is very high likelihood that I might get stopped out prematurely uh, out of a good um, okay trend. so you prefer to take money off the table rather than aggressively moving your stop I mean yeah those are the two main approaches right in trading you either move move your stop mm -hmm. just uh, way to get uh, stopped out by the market or you just aggressively manage your position and just uh, take partial profits on strength uh, at levels where where it makes sense you know for example if I'm risking 50 cents per share I'll probably sell a quarter when uh, my uh, stock shows that it, it made me 50 cents because I risk 50 cents if I sell, sell a little bit of 50 cents that basically means I've, I've achieved uh, so-called one R. So R is the risk-to-reward ratio. And typically, yeah. we traders, we look at those. And we, uh, we strive to get into setups that offer uh, higher rewards than the initial risk taken. Because in, in most cases, it doesn't matter how experienced you are, uh, you know, you're... Your success rate will vary, but uh, on average, it will be like 50-60%. So to be profitable in the long term, you need to make sure that you enter setups where the potential reward is at least one and a half to two times, if not higher than the risk you're taking. Uh, and how, how do you approach um, slippage? As a risk, sort of when you enter trades, obviously when you hold them more than a one trading day, um, I mean you can lose. You know, your risk reward can be in, um, affected by that. Obviously, um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you will have cases where uh, when you have a swing trade position or a position or a position trading uh, position, when uh, a stock will uh, can gap below your stop. If you're long or gap above your stop if you're short and it's on a case-by-case -case basis you know typically um, you wait the first 10-15 minutes to see if if there will be a move in the opposite direction if there will be a fade uh, and you just get out <laughs> you just you just take the loss and move on uh, because when you're active trader one trade is not gonna really uh, make or break your ear. Um, you know, in a typical year, you're very likely to take hundreds, even thousands of short-term trades. So, um, in the big scheme of things, one or two or, or five trades uh, are not really that important. You know, you know, and this is why we're why we say that position sizing is so important because you know when you enter a trade you know exactly how much you risk. And in, mo in most cases, you know, let's say that you risk 1% of your capital. 
uh, and this is how you define uh, your stop and position sizing. Uh, let's say you you buy a ten dollar stock with a with a stop at nine. That means you risk one dollar per per share. And uh, let's assume that your trading capital is a hundred thousand, and you want to risk one percent of your capital per per idea. One percent of a hundred thousand is one thousand. So one thousand is your risk per trade. So going back to the example of buying a $10 stock with a $9 stock where you risk $1 per share. So you get the, your total risk of $1,000 divided by your risk per share, which is one. That means that you can afford to buy 1,000 shares. You know, 1,000 shares times 10, that's $10,000 allocation or 10% of your initial capital. And obviously in some cases, sometimes the stock can gap Below your, below your initial uh, stop, but those cases are rare. And, um, you know, they do happen, but they're rare. Yep. Um, and uh, you've also mentioned previously that there uh, are only a few strategies to achieve big gains over time. One of these was to hunt for several huge winners in a year, build large positions in them, and, and ride them, basically. Um, and how, I was just interested to know how, how you go find, about finding those winners um, to build those positions in. What, what would uh, highlight those individual stocks as, as good potentials on that front? Yeah, I mean, the main thing you should be, if you want to position trade, that means hold a position for multiple weeks or months, you need to be looking at volume. So you need to be looking for stocks that are breaking out to new 52-week highs or new 50-day highs on huge volume compared to their average daily volume. Let's say you see a stock that is up 8, 10, 20. If it's a biotech, it could be up 50% on that day. And it's already trading something like 20 or 50 or 100 times its average daily volume. We're talking millions and millions of shares. Uh, in a stock that typically trades, let's say, 100,000 shares a day. This is often uh, a good sign that there is urgency among buyers and there is a, a big story behind that move. And in many cases, those huge volume breakouts have continuation uh, later uh, and I'll give you one example. Um, so uh, last year, you know, I mean, there, there are a lot of examples every single year, but uh, there's a biotech stock called Axon Therapeutics, symbol AXSM. And um, at some point last year, it had a, a huge volume breakout I mean, currently is trading around a hundred dollars uh, but just one second all right so at some point last year in february of last year the stock was trading around 30 40,000 between 100 and 200,000 shares a day and and it was trading around three dollars then all of a sudden, in uh, 
January of 20, 2019, it has a huge gap. So it gaps from three to seven. So that's more than 100% gap in that stock. And that stock traded on that day 51 million shares. So it went from trading 200,000 shares to trading more than 50 million shares on that specific day, and it more than doubled on that day. So if, if you fast forward less than a couple of years later, that stock is trading at 100. So from 7 to 100, you can just make the calculation. So just look for, look for huge volume breakouts. Not all of them are going to work, and this is why we use stops, but the ones who work will more than, more than pay off for the ones that don't. And uh, I mean, this is the most simple way, I think, to find potential big winners. And especially when there is some, uh, there's specific news behind, behind that gap and behind that, usually earnings related or uh, if, if it's a biotech, if it, become, if it receives FDA approval for one of its uh, drugs. That's typically, is, uh, it is basically the most simple way to, to find big potential winners. And as always, there is nothing certain. You still need to manage risk and you should not be putting all, all of your money into one uh, stock, no matter how much you, you think the potential is. Just take 10 of them. Maybe five of them are not going to work. You're going to lose seven to 10%. We have a stop of seven to 10% of each of those positions. But two or three of them might double and two might go up a thousand percent. And those are the ones that will uh, account for, for the majority of your gains, basically. If, if position trading is your game and you don't want to be active on a, on a daily basis, or on, a, on a weekly basis, this is what you should be doing. Just look for huge volume and how are you scanning the market stocks to find these, these big volume breakouts? Are you using sort of a tool to do that or, or some software? Yeah, there's so many free, um, well, not all of them are free, uh, screening softwares that uh, offer mm-hmm. you that. I mean, one that like Finviz. Yeah, Finviz is one of them. You don't even have to pay for it. And, you know, if I go right now to, to their website and let's say I, I would choose, you know, average volume 50,000 for the day um, and then under relative volume, choose something super high, like over 10. And price, you can choose, you know, anything over, over a dollar. Um, current volume, you know, anything over 10 million shares um, and then see how, how many stocks you know right now you, I see six names are coming up today and uh, three of them are biotech and uh, really <laughs> so that's basically what you do you, you know you look at those and um, so for example the first one they traded the they traded 200 million shares today is called Capricorn Therapeutics. 
it's up 250% today. So keep in mind that many of those, you know, tiny biotechs, if they don't have a real news behind those moves, will, will get faded at some point. But this is why you, you use your stop. You have a stop in mind. But some of them will become, you know, big long, long-term winners, especially if there, if there is an earnings report behind that huge volume breakout. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's it. Just just find a screener, and there are quite a few free screeners, and uh, just do that every day, and um, you'll probably find twenty or so decent candidates uh, every single year, and you can just put five to ten percent of your capital into uh, into uh, each of them, and just uh, manage your risk. Awesome. I just wanted to um, move on into now into, into a quick fire round just to, to finish off the, uh, the, the podcast. It's just a few questions. Not going to take too long to answer them. It's just a, uh, a little finishing thing we do at the end. Um, what is it about trading that interests you? Uh, freedom and the opportunities uh, that it offers. I mean, it, when you have uh, the rights skills and the right am- amount of capital the amount of money that you can make trading uh, you cannot really make at most jobs so this this is basically this is why i'm uh, in the business because it's just the opportunities that it offers are just can cannot really be matched by by most jobs that's a good, good reason. It, it still involves a lot of work. I mean, it's not easy by any means. You, uh, it's not, it's not a nine to five job. Sometimes you need to work twelve hours a day uh, to hone your skills. But the opportunities it offers are just basically unmatched uh, in most cases. And um, favorite books? Have you got one that you would sort of uh, say is your favorite for? trading and another that could be about anything let's see um so there are quite a few good trading books you know i wrote six of them they're they're really good uh but um i think one one that is a kind of good basis would be um uh, there's a there's a small book uh written by nicholas darvis how i made uh Two million dollars in the stock market, you know, which is based on. So we don't even know if if it actually happened historically. It might be just an imagination, but uh, <laughs> the you know happened I think in, in the fifties or, or in the sixties when uh, Darvis was a he was a dancer who was just traveling around the world and he was just trading based on on quotes. They were a week delayed. And his approach was basically buying breakouts to new 52-week highs within currently popular industries. And he would just use a super highly um, concentrated approach where he would just put all of his capital into three or four names and just uh, make all of his money during a bull market and then just go to cash into a bear market. I mean, it's... It's a very simple strategy that I think it it continues to work today. So it, it's a kind of good basis uh, 
to step on. Um, and um, regarding a book in general, uh, let's see, which one? I mean, uh, I probably bought more books than I, than I read lately, but uh, <laughs> let's see, uh, <clears throat> the one that it's really, uh, really interesting to me, uh, and obviously it's not just one, but uh, let's see, what was something that really, I mean, and also uh, if you want to just expand your investment knowledge, like all the Market Wizards books by Jack mm -hmm. Schwager, good books that offers a historical perspective of what happened and also, also talk a lot about psychology. Uh, that's also... Uh, a good book, good books. Um, so more recently, you know, one very practical book that I liked is um, called Atomic Habits by James Clear. Uh, where he, the whole premise of the book is that um, if you want to change, if we want to change our lives, we need to change our habits. So he breaks it down and explains how you can change your your habits, how you can stop your bad habits and how you can uh, create new positive habits uh, in a scientific way. So if you follow that, you can basically do uh, anything you want. You, you can become anyone you want uh, with enough uh, persistence. So I think it's a very practical book. I do like practical books. Uh, Brilliant. Yeah, that's, that's good, good suggestions. And um, top three mistakes investors, or, or actually, well, probably more, Relevant as traders, traders make. I mean, mo most traders are very impatient at the beginning and um, undercapitalized. Like everyone starts with a small amount of money and wants to make to get rich very quickly, and it takes considerable amount amount of time and effort to get to a point where first you break even and then you start making money all of a sudden. So just don't be so impatient. That's that's my suggestion, and then. The second one would be don't go over the place. Just choose one working setup. And there are many examples of working setups that you can uh, get for free on the web and specialize in that uh, setup until you start consistently making money in it instead of jumping all over the place. Just go deep and narrow in, in, instead of shallow and, and wide. Just specialize at the beginning. Mm -hmm. Just become profitable at one thing and then gradually you can add you know some other setups to your uh, arsenal and uh, what's another mistake um, so impatience undercapitalized I guess just starting undercapitalized is it's a it's a big mistake okay and uh, just finally what's a top tip to keep calm uh, in stressful situations is, is there anything you do to do yeah to just calm? just take a deep breath <laughs> just take take a few deep breaths uh just to calm you down and um i mean if you're if you're into meditation meditation is basically taking deep breaths and um also uh, try to think about all the things that you should be thankful for uh, every day you know that that also calms you down because most people have a much better life than than they imagine <laughs> you know they're they're 
just remember that there are probably 90% out of the people out there in the world want to be you right now and want to have your life. So sometimes you just need to look things from their perspective and just be thankful for what you have. Uh, you know, those are the things that I, that I think are really important. Amazing. Well, um, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much. Uh, really, really appreciate you being on the podcast. It's, it's really interesting to, to dive into your expertise. Um, I'm sure people are really going to really appreciate it. Um, and I just, if you're looking for more from, from Ivo, then uh, you can join him at ivanhoff.com. There's two Fs, where you'll also find details on all his books that he's got available, which I highly recommend. Um, he's also available on uh, tweeting about the markets with the handle at Ivanhoff2. Um, was there anything else you'd like to say before, before we wrap it up, Ivan? No, that's all. If you uh, want to learn more about my approach, just follow me on Twitter. At, as you said, Ivanhoff2. Or just uh, I have a YouTube show called Momentum Monday uh, with Howard Linson every Sunday. It's also free. You can watch that. It's 15 minutes review of what's going on currently in the market. And that's all. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, thanks a lot for that, Ivan. Um, thanks for your time. Thanks for listening, everyone. Just a quick note before we sign off. If you're looking for an easily digestible daily update on the markets, this might be of interest to you. Opto Updates is our short newsletter sent every day during a trading week, giving you a bulleted list of the top seven stories from the global stock markets. We've done the hard work for you, highlighting relevant opportunities and trends. And in addition, we'll also keep you notified of any new podcasts, stock reports, or events from the Opto world. If you're interested, sign up using the link in the show notes. Until next time.